Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello. Happy Friday, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast, another Friday free talk. Today's Friday free talk I am really excited about because it is something that I have this conversation with all of our clients. I have it a lot in the Birth Lounge. And if you don't know what the Birth Lounge is, that is my membership for expecting mothers who come in and every week we have a prenatal visit and we talk about how they can prepare for their birth, how they can have a more comfortable and easier pregnancy, and how they can prepare for postpartum. So you get access to modules and trainings and downloads and sleep schedules and feeding schedules and pumping schedules and how to store breast milk and what you should know about your child's development and all the decisions you need to make during labor plus all the things you have to make a choice about when it comes to your baby after birth. Um, that's, that's the birth lounge. So these are all things that I talk about with the people I'm supporting in birth and I thought, you know what, I need, I need to tell our larger community, I need to tell our podcast, our Instagram, our Facebook, I gotta tell people about this. and. It came to me in two different ways this past week. And so today I'm going to be talking about when checking in actually hinders the process. Now, specifically, I'll be talking about birth today, but I think you're going to find that this is a, you know, it's not really a theory, but it's a, a thing that you can apply in other places of your life. And I think you're going to find that it makes sense in other places of your life too. So specifically when, when hindering the process, I want you to think about birth from a physiological, from a natural standpoint, from an undisturbed, undisrupted standpoint. So if we were to allow your body and your baby to do its thing, we're going to do the dang thing. What would that look like? That's what I'm, I'm going off of. So today I have four places specifically, and three of them are 
are, are kind of, you know, science-backed. And then one of them actually goes all the way back to boundaries. Um, so let's get started. Okay, so the first place that I always see checking in, disrupting our natural processes, is vaginal checks in the later part of pregnancy. So it used to be routine, and I mean it still is routine in a lot of places, to do vaginal checks starting at 37 weeks. And you're going to see your doctor, your provider at this point on a weekly basis, and that's the time for them to slip in there and see what's going on with your cervix. But the science is actually pretty clear that there's no benefit to having cervical exams before 40 or 41 weeks. Now this all goes back to your due date, right? And we know that first time babies are more, most likely gonna be born. I think something crazy like 80 or 90% of first time babies are born between 40 weeks and five days, so five days past your due date, to 41 weeks and two days, which is nine days past your due date. I'm going to link all the science for all of this stuff so that you you know down in the show notes. So you can check anything that I mentioned today. You can check it all out in the show notes, the, the science behind it. But there actually are a few risks for vaginal checks in later pregnancy. And I think a lot of providers will pose these, um, you know, position them to patients as if they are mandatory or required or that you can't say no. And that's just simply not true. And they're not evidence-based, right? So the risks are, well, obviously every single time you go in there, you are gonna increase your risk of infection, right? So every time we do a vaginal check, both in pregnancy and during labor, we are introducing strange bacteria. Um, and, and there's a risk of infection, obviously. It also increases your risk of rupture in your membranes early. Now this particular study showed 6% of pregnancies had premature rupture of membranes, which simply means that your membranes rupture before your contractions begin. So with no checks, 6%. But with checks, with weekly checks starting at 37 weeks, y'all, it, it was a threefold increase, up to 18%. That's insane. It didn't double it. It tripled your risk of having premature rupture of membranes. Crazy. Now, this is especially important for birthing people who tested positive for GBS because the minute that your membranes rupture, you will need to head to the hospital to have IV antibiotics administered for the GBS. Now, you are not more likely to have accidental home birth if you don't get these vaginal checks. Literally, check out the links that, that I'm putting in the show notes. There have been studies done on this. So if your doctor is using this, like, well, we want to know, or like, we need to know where your baby is, or I wouldn't want your baby to come early and us not know it, then they are either really misinformed and not practicing evidence-based medicine, or... They're using this as a scare tactic. And you know what? Honestly, neither one is okay. So we, we, we got to be limiting the vaginal checks here at the end because there are no benefits. There are actual risks. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that if you're curious and that's impacting you negatively, as in you have anxiety because you don't know and you would be less anxious if you knew, 
that is a valid reason to get a cervical exam. But if we're doing it out of curiosity and it's just a, well, let's just check in, typically that's not a good reason to do that, only because the risk, right? But that's something personal. You will, you will be able to weigh what matters to you, what risks are worth it, and what benefits are worth it, right? Cool. All right, that was number one. Okay, number two, someone along the same lines, electronic fetal monitoring. So before I go into actually how checking so much hinders the process, I want to go into the different types because there are types that don't hinder the process, and that is what you could be requesting. And then there are types that absolutely do hinder the process and also have pretty big risk that if you're not aware of, things could go wrong really quickly. So the first thing we need to understand is there are two types of fetal monitoring. We have electronic fetal monitoring, which is obviously done with electricity by computers, cords, things that you're hooked up to, monitors. And then we have the hands-on monitoring, right? And this can be done by a Doppler, which is going to be a little battery pack with a monitor on the end of it. It's, it's going to be wireless. You'll be able to stay mobile. Or you have a fetal stethoscope, which used to be called a fetoscope, actually. And it looks like, um, you know, a horn or a cone device, or it may just look like a regular stethoscope. Home birth midwives still sometimes use the horn coned device. They typically have a battery powered Doppler as well. So those are gonna be your two types of intermittent auscultation, the hands-on. So back to the electronic, we also have two types of that. We have continuous, which is gonna be your traditional electronic, right? And this is gonna have you hooked up to computers and monitors and wires and you'll be limited in your mobility, you'll be limited in your ability of what you can and can't do. Under continuous, you also have the wireless mobile option and some of these are water resistant. So sometimes you can accomplish the continuous fetal monitoring and they're gonna strap these things to your belly with uh, these like elastic bands, right? And squirt some gel on your belly, put the monitors on there and secure them that way. And you'll be able to move freely around the room. Some will be water resistant, you'll be able to get in the tub or the shower and some will not be. That's a great question for a prenatal with your provider. Also under electronic, you have intermittent. So you can also opt to have intermittent where you are hooked up to the electronic monitors either with the bands or on the bed, um, you know, since you have to be kind of close to the monitors if it's the traditional kind. And you do that so often, once an hour, once every two hours, whatever feels good to you and your provider. It's a great question again for a prenatal. Now all hospitals too should have Dopplers available. Doesn't always mean that your provider is gonna be trained in it. Um, hopefully there's a nurse or a provider there that is trained in it. That would be super unfortunate if, if, if there wasn't one because um, Dopplers have incredible benefits. So never hesitate to ask to get someone in there that can use a Doppler if you have a strong preference. 
because Dopplers, like I say, they're more comfortable to you. You don't have to um, like wear these uncomfortable belts. It really allows you for more personal space. You can be in the water. It allows you to be, um, you know, laboring in all sorts of positions. Everyone in the room can still hear the baby's heart rate too. Um, Electronic fetal monitoring was brought into labor rooms in the 1970s, despite the fact that there was no research or evidence to show that it was safe or effective. So why did we do it? Well, obviously we did it because we thought we could save more lives, but what studies have actually shown is that it increases your risk of a C-section without providing the benefits that we first thought it would. So lower infant mortality rights, those are actually on the rise you know, better APGAR scores. It doesn't show that babies have better APGAR scores or the number of NICU admissions. So those two have not declined. Without a doubt, hands-on listening is evidence-based and produces better outcomes for birthing people and babies. So again, I want to really remind you that any provider that can't provide you with hands-on listening at your request, it's worth requesting a different provider. It's it literally has the potential to change the outcome of your labor. We just heard that, you know, electronic fetal monitoring actually increases your risk of a C-section. So I think it's also too really important for you as the consumer to understand that there are some things that your provider are not going to be able to offer you without you suggesting it or asking for it. So this is going to be one of those things. We need to understand that a lot of hospital policies really do suggest and require that their providers suggest to you continuous fetal monitoring. So you're going to have to request it. Now, you have some science on your side and and some big organizations like ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, has endorsed hands-on listening as an appropriate and safe alternative to electronic fetal monitoring since 2009. So for over 10 years at the time of this recording. And in 2017, they actually recognized that it hasn't improved outcomes. So that's really powerful too. Obviously, the American College of Nurse Midwives endorses it. Bless their soul, they're always doing the right things before it's actually cool. And in the UK, get this, the National Institute for the Health and Care Excellence actually recommends doing hands-on listening with all low-risk pregnancies and not to even offer electronic fetal monitoring. Isn't that incredible? So there's my two cents on electronic fetal monitoring and, and how, you know, if we allow it to just be this, gosh, this thing that we use continuously, it actually has the impacts, you know, that aren't so great on your birth or at least the potential to cause that. All right. The third thing that I want to talk about is don't push. And if you visit episode 135, uh, it's, it's actually called Don't Stop Pushing. I share that how if you have the urge to bear down and someone tells you to stop, we can actually disrupt the natural process of birth. Because what you're feeling when you have that urge to push is the fetal ejection reflex, which you, you know, want to happen in birth. Newsflash. 
You want your body to help you eject your body, eject your baby with this natural process that your body already has. And that's the fetal ejection reflex. This is something I teach on in the birth launch. I teach women how to recognize it and how to allow it to activate itself and how to work with it in order to push your baby out so that you can push for less than one hour. I call this my secret sauce to pushing. And Gosh, it has literally the best results. We consistently have women who push for less than one hour and have zero Terran. And it's so powerful to know that if you, as a birthing person, really understand your body and understand the anatomy and the natural processes that your body gives you to help you, to assist you, to support you in birth, to make this labor and delivery easier, how much more powerful you are in birth as a birthing person that for me, oh my gosh, I love it. So, you know, it definitely take a listen to that because I also share why it's important and inappropriate to tell birthing people to stop pushing or to not push into their urges if they are at 10 centimeters. So many women have shared stories with me about having the urge to push, but they weren't 10 centimeters, so their nurse or their provider said, don't push. The research that I share with you in episode 135 actually says the opposite. It says that if you're not 10 centimeters or you do have a cervical lip, ding, 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 also a common reason why birthing people are told, don't push, take a deep breath, breathe through it, breathe down, don't give into it. You know, it's all kind of BS this research is showing. And I don't want you to think that I'm telling you it's the only option. I want you to know that you have other options. If someone is telling you not to push, you don't have to necessarily necessarily listen to that and there is science on your side proving that if that's what your instincts are telling you you can go with that and you should go with that even if there is not research and your instincts are telling you something you should go with that but regardless if you're a very logistical person and you like the the data and the hard numbers I can appreciate that here is your data and your hard numbers episode 135 It breaks it down how if you have a cervical lip or you're not 10 centimeters, that pushing can actually A, alleviate some pain, and B, help that cervix go ahead and dilate the rest of the way, and it kicks in your fetal ejection reflex and generally shortens the time of not only the second stage of labor, which is active labor, but also the pushing time, right? Which, who doesn't want that? check it out you guys episode 135 it's really 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 good all right my final one and you guys this one all comes down to you oh you know I hate to put that on you it's so much easier when you can blame someone else or you can just like learn something or find a mantra that works but this one is a hard one and it comes all the way down to you and your boundaries Ugh, who wants to talk about boundaries Nobody ever, but we got to do it. So here we go. The end of pregnancy, when people are constantly checking in with you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your laundry people, your mailman, the, the barista at Starbucks, your doorman, because everybody's going to be asking you if the baby is here or not. And here's a couple rules to keep in mind. First, 
It is important to know and keep in mind people ask because people love you and they care about you and they want to love on your baby. I hear you that it is so annoying and overwhelming and also frustrating and also just a big reminder that your baby was supposed to be here, but they're not. Side note, that goes back to you having a healthy, realistic expectation of what a due date is. If your due date is here, you know that you really need to add five to nine days to that if you're a first-time parent. And anything before that is unrealistic and you're setting yourself up for kind of anxiety. For this period of waiting around for your baby when realistically you know a very large percentage of first-time babies are born five to nine days past their due date. So go ahead and have your heart set on that window. And if you get to 10 days past your due date, then we can check in on that baby and see what the heck is up. You get to decide along with your partner who you tell what about your pregnancy and your birth experience. You get to decide who gets what updates and how often. I like to think about this as circles around you, like the rings of a tree. And that innermost circle are the people who you will tell when labor starts and when you head to the hospital and the birth center. And they're usually the first people you text or FaceTime after the baby is here. Grandparents, siblings of either yours or your partners or even siblings of this baby. Maybe you already have children. You can go even narrower, narrower with who you update with what you know maybe you just have a couple core people you get to choose where people kind of hang out on what rung they fall and that second rung now those are people who are going to hear from you in those first 24 to 48 hours after the baby's here friend groups extended family and then beyond that the third circle and you know thereafter are generally people in your life that are important players but not too intimate so people at work your neighbors your social groups people who knew you were having a baby are excited for you are going to be in your child's life but also you know don't get necessarily the privilege of hearing or seeing from you in those first couple of days after your baby this is a super hard one it's obviously a little bit easier with coronavirus. That's a very easy excuse to keep people at arm's length, which has been helpful for a lot of people. A double-edged sword because it's also extra lonely and has created this level of isolation that as if new parenthood wasn't isolating enough, this pandemic has just laid on an extra layer of that. But it has also provided us the space that we need to keep people at bay, protect our mental health, keep our family unit from going completely insane from outside questions. Some tips and tricks that you can do is, you know, if you have a larger family, you can direct your extended family to one or two point people that you will be communicating with and everybody else needs to direct their questions to them. You can put everybody on a message board and direct your partner or that point person to drop updates there. You can also color code different updates and send them to that point person and they get to disperse among the rungs of your circles. There's so many ways that you can 
do this to get the information out but to also limit the amount of people who are asking you no baby yet is there a baby you still pregnant i know how frustrating that is and i really want to minimize that for you because in the end of pregnancy i want you focusing on yourself and your partner and the way that your life is right now but also the way that your life is about to change you are about to make the sweetest and not so hardest probably most valuable transition of your whole entire life Ugh. okay before i get too mushy gushy because you know i can do it i'm gonna let you go happy friday you guys i'm so thankful that you decided to hang out with me today i really appreciate it i love sharing all of these things that you should know that you know if you don't know how to ask the right questions with the right words at the right time how are you ever gonna have your ideal birth yikes all right guys any of the research that I mentioned today is going to be linked in the show notes. So feel free to take a look at that. And otherwise, I'll see you on Tuesday. Till then, take care. Hey there. Before you go, I want to let you know who made today's episode possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Primally Pure. Now, you know, I've been striving to switch to a totally green lifestyle, and it's hard. It takes time. But I'll tell you one thing that I did instantly. And matter of fact, it's the first thing I recommend to people who are trying to balance their hormones, get pregnant, stay pregnant, people who are pregnant, or people who are nursing. Changing your skincare routine is everything. You need to be organic and toxic-free. For me, I made the switch to all-natural product skincare three years ago, and my complete routine comes from Primally Pure. I use their clarifying serum in the complexion mist in the morning. I cleanse each night with the cleansing oil, moisturize in the evenings with the fancy face serum, I also use their lotion and deodorant and dry shampoo. They even have a baby line that we gift to all of our clients because what better products for your newborn than all natural butt balm, baby oil, baby powder, baby soap. They've offered our people 10% on your first purchase. You can use the code HEEHEE10 to take advantage of this awesome savings. That's H-E-H-E-1-0. If there's ever a time to make a switch, it's when you're wishing for growing or nursing a tiny human. Visit PrimallyPure.com and save with the code HEEHEE10, but proceed with caution because it is totally addicting. I'm warning you now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.
Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.